Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snug under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films, like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite enlighten you, maybe we never blow your mind, maybe we never try to perform live surgery on you while you're awake <laughs> and not under your own will. <laughs> but hopefully you just have a good time listening. So today we are wrapping up our month-long theme of horror at the hospital with the 1982 film X-Ray, also known as Hospital Massacre. This film was directed by Boaz Davidson, who was born in Israel, uh, began directing in the early 70s, doing mostly comedies, stuff like that, played a role in forming the company Image, which later formed Millennium Films, and he and, and in doing that, he worked as a producer that's produced films such as Shark Attack 3, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Skeleton Man, I believe is one of them, uh, a bunch of those, like, you know, really silly, low-budget... <laughs> this, this is a man of good taste. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and, and then he, he went on to do... Uh, I don't know if you would say better, but higher quality stuff, uh, such as the Expendables movies, uh, Drive Angry, Leatherface. Uh, so, and, and he still works there as a producer, I believe. Let's see, the film was written by Mark Bem, who wrote the novel, which Eye of the Beholder was based on. Uh, really good, like, I think, oh, what was it, late 90s, early 2000s movie. And the film stars Barbie Benton as Susan. Uh, Barbie was a model, I believe, who got started in TV series uh, where she appeared in, in shows such as Sugar Time, uh, Charlie's Angels, Fantasy Island, The Love Boat. Uh, she was also in the movie Death Stalker. Also has Charles Lucia as Harry, who, got, who also started in TV as well with the series Most Wanted. Was also in The Doctors, Fantasy Island as well. Uh, did the film Society, Tank Girl. Uh, it has John Van Ness as Jack, who first appeared in End of the World. Also did films like Tourist Trap, The Hitcher, Alligator 2, <laughs> you know, classics. classics. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, it has John Warner as Dr. Saxon, uh, who first appeared in the Incredible Hulk series and also did General <laughs> Hospital. Uh, so I like how you just great TV talent. I like how you just automatically laugh at like the Incredible Hulk series. <laughs> how can you not? This is not me dissing it. It's just it's just funny. Yeah, no, no. They they all came from you know good to not good yeah. <laughs> TV from the seventies. And for those who've never seen X Ray, it's essentially about this woman named Susan who is just going in for a routine conversation with the doctor about test results, you know, for a checkup or whatever. And, well, there, her chart is switched by a maniac who <laughs> has devised a plan to keep her at the hospital while he attempts to kill her. <laughs> dick. What a dick. What um, a dick. So, those who have never seen the film, it's streaming on Tubi, Paramount+, Plus, Prime, I believe, as well. Uh, so, you can check it out there. It, it is one that I think, well, is not a great movie it's entertaining <laughs> it, it is very entertaining uh, i actually think what's interesting about it is that davidson does kind of a weirdly good job of balancing like kind of tense sort of creepy horror movie vibes mm -hmm. with just some of the silliest fucking <laughs> shit <laughs> that yes. that should not be in the movie but is probably better because it is in the movie <laughs> like there, there's some ridiculous stuff in here but it's fun yeah i mean this isn't a spoiler but just to give you an idea there's literally a moment where the killer runs down the entire length of a hallway <laughs> with a sheet and chases a woman <laughs> and she runs away screaming and, and he's just running after her like a fucking ghost <laughs> to, and like, he still manages to kill her well spoiler oh, but 
Uh, and, and it's all just to, like, wrap her up in the sheet for better killing, I guess. Oh. I don't know. It's just... But, but so, no, he's a messy bitch, and it's hilarious. And it's, uh, it's just it's just an overall entertaining movie. But so, uh, we do have our brief little bit of spoiler-free content before we get into spoilers. So, we'll let you know when that's happening. So, just as usual, tagline versus the film, what we think of it overall. So, the tagline for X-Ray was, You have nothing to fear. Until they operate. <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of X-Ray overall? Ew, I have to agree with the tagline because I have a fear of hospitals. So, yeah. Yeah, I no, I, I very much agree with this. I mean, like I was talking about last week, you know, you never know. Like some some doctor is going to fucking spill M&Ms in your chest cavity or something. And and then you're fucked. They're not, I, you can't get chocolate out. I, lo- you can't I love get chocolate your obsession out of the with, with surgeons eating M&Ms while they're operating. It was in a Seinfeld episode and I've just never forgotten it. Although it wasn't M&Ms, it was something else. But, Fair enough. <laughs> but same, same, similar thing in the candy class, whatever yeah. it was. <laughs> Yeah, it's this movie definitely kind of like makes me despair of hospitals. Um, but I think that it's it's a really good balance, like you said, of creepy moments and then just fucking ridiculous shit. There's so much stuff that I love about this movie, and like normally the hospital movies really get under my skin just because of like the needles and all of the hospital equipment. And it's weird, but with this one, I appreciate that I get next to no hospital equipment, but it still is kind of creepy. And kind of, like, talking about, like, being a woman at a hospital and, like, what you kind of have to deal with sometimes with fucking doctor shitty shenanigans. Yeah, no, the the themes are all really interesting. The, you know, the way that it looks at women and how they're treated, just in general in society, but also, mm-hmm. you know, from a doctor's perspective where it's often, like, you're hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you except that you're a hysterical a woman. woman, you know? I'm gonna um, slap you. Right, you hysterical <laughs> bitch. Like, that's, you know, it, it's it's very heavy on that for sure. Um, But, but you know, it, but, but in a way that I don't think overwhelms the movie, it just kind of puts you in the shoes of just like, yeah, this is fucking terrifying, you know? Yeah. And then it is like, you know, I've I discovered this movie after putting it on a few times while trying to go to bed because it just seemed interesting to me. I had never heard of it before. And, you know, I found myself just becoming more and more wrapped up in it because, you know, usually I put these things on right before I go to sleep sometimes, like, <laughs> which is not a good habit. But <laughs> but I would do that. And, and with this one, I just kept coming back to it because this first act especially is just so eerie, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like really weird, like the hospital seems just very strange you know uh, not like the hospital from infection but there's just something about it that you know is really like unnerving <laughs> there's a weird intensity to this movie that doesn't go away like everything weirdly like all of the acting and things that are kind of happening in like the side scenes seems dialed up to 11 mm. but then like the story that's happening isn't dialed up the, to 11 so there's it's, a story in this movie <laughs> kind of not really <laughs> No, you're you're absolutely right. It's the intensity. The you know, that's what's really interesting about the film is that there are really well done moments of intensity when it, Susan is kind of being put through some of the ordeals that she finds herself in. Uh, you know, whether through the killer's hands or just these doctors who you know aren't listening to her and taking advantage of her, mm-hmm. and you know, so those moments themselves are like they're terrifying. You know, yeah. they're they're super. They get the hair standing up on the back of your neck. They're they get the heart pounding. You know, like they're really well done. And then there's just moments of you know, like like the killer running down the hallway with a fucking ghost sheet that that just like is on a whole different level of of what the fuck you yes. know. Uh, that it almost feels like they're out of two different movies in a sense, but they end up working together because it just becomes this ball of like entertaining nonsense, you know. <laughs> yeah, this feels like a weird horror soap opera. Like a little bit, yeah, and it and it fits considering mm-hmm. our cast all being from TV soap operas. Exactly. The moment <laughs> that you told me that all the cast did TV first, everything clicked into place. Like why the acting is the way that it is, because it's not bad acting, but it's a different style than I feel like we normally see in movies. Mm. Like you said it works so well it, for what's happening. Right, and on top of everything else I just mentioned, then you also have the score, which you know feels <laughs> like. It, it feels like, you know, like it's out of the movie The Omen or something. Yeah, like with it belongs, the weird culty music. Right, like it belongs in the Omen franchise because it's one of the few horror scores I've heard that 
really has like that high pitch kind of choir, yeah. you know, culty. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Well, not for this movie, it no. doesn't. Like it's a really good score, but it doesn't belong in this, you know. <laughs> Um, they also switched the the score charts with another movie. Yeah, and, and this is another. And you know, when we mentioned visiting hours earlier in the month, that was a movie that got accused of being a Halloween two ripoff, but I don't think you could call it that. Uh, X Ray is the film where I think you can begin to approach ripoff territory, where you know this is kind of a blend of ripoffs between. Uh, you know, Halloween 2 and The Visiting Hours and My Bloody Valentine, you know? Oh, absolutely a My Bloody Valentine ripoff. Yeah, like, all of which came out before it, I believe. The movie was made in 1981, but didn't come out till 82, and it was kind of coming out to sort of, you know, profit off of the slasher age, and <laughs> <laughs> and, and was kind of rushed into production for that, and you can tell. You can tell. You, know, you can tell. Um, but no, overall, I think it's a fun movie. If you haven't seen it, please go check it out. Before we get into spoilers, which we're about to do now, so remember again, it's streaming on Tubi, Prime, and Paramount Plus, I believe. So check it out there. Otherwise, <laughs> spoiler time now. So, <laughs> you know, let's let's talk about that mind bloody Valentine aspect and just your thoughts on setting this up on Valentine's Day. You know, the film opens on Valentine's Day when Susan is a kid, and she ends up, you know, basically. This is just for those of you who haven't seen it, your benefit. Uh, and she ends up basically being, you know, given this Valentine's Day card by this kid named, what was it, Harold, Harold. right? And it, she takes it in her house, and he watches her through the window as, like, her and her brother, you know, laugh at the fact, like, ah, Harold, what a little fucking loser, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> and then they crush the card, and then, you know, he decides that that's worthy of murdering her brother. And then <laughs> is he her brother? I thought he was her Valentine's Day date. I don't know either way, but the, <laughs> the he movie, dies. It doesn't matter. The, the movie's not very clear. I would have to assume that he's her brother, but <laughs> uh, but then but then yeah, but then like two decades later, or so you know, it's set on Valentine's Day again, and you can probably guess who has returned to finish the job. So <laughs> so yeah, just what do you think about the fact? of revolving it around that particular holiday. <laughs> I, I really like the fact that this film revolves around Valentine's Day because so much of this film is kind of talking about what women have to deal with with dudes in particular. Like, this mm. tendency for men to kind of assume that they kind of own women, can kind of talk down to them. Don't Listen, if I give you a Valentine's <laughs> Day card that says I love you, it means you're mine forever. The card actually says that word That's for word. That's the contract. Be mine forever. If you exactly. accept it, you accept the contract. Well, and I feel like that's... I'm being sarcastic, obviously. <laughs> but, I mean, you're kind of right with this movie, and that's what I really appreciate, because I feel like so, so often with Valentine's Day, it always kind of gets attached to, like, women being like super into it it's the day of love and if you don't love me back you know if you don't take her on the right valentine's day date any of this shit she's gonna go bonkers and murder you right mm. for like a horror thing so i really love the fact that this film uses valentine's day to kind of point out like the insidious nature of men kind of thinking that they have this entitlement to women's bodies if i love you then i deserve access to your body if i'm your doctor i deserve access to your body like, mm. there's so much in this movie about that, well, and I love it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Well, and so often, too, the the I love you part isn't even, like, love. It's, you know, it's I, I want to bone you. Yeah. yeah. I want to <laughs> like, touch your titties. All right, like, like, I had a ton of girlfriends, you know, growing up who, I mean, there would be guys who are, like, professing their love for them a week into knowing them. And it's like, you know, look, you want to believe in love at first sight, all that kind of stuff? That's fine. That's adorable. Um, but, you know, just, you know, but if you're going to profess your love to someone after a week of knowing them, or in Harold's case, like, I don't know, she, he sits behind her at school or something, like, um, you know, maybe don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... But, but, you know, the other thing I think about with this, too, now that we've been doing this for a month, is, like, isn't it interesting that, you know, because Visiting Hours is similar, deals with similar themes that we'll probably get more into in a sec, where, you know, it deals a little bit with that, how women are approached in society and viewed by society, mm -hmm. you know, when, when they're trying to speak up, and, you know, just isn't it interesting that here we have two horror films from the early 80s, who were talking about these things during a time 
when critics like Ebert, you know, said stuff like, you know, the horror genre is all sexist and people were tagging the genre as being, you know, sexist and all this kind of stuff. And like we have, you know, these issues not really being talked a lot about in movies until mm. really just this past decade. And isn't it interesting that they kind of get buried, you know, because yeah. Visiting Hours, like, is, isn't is an unknown movie, but I wouldn't say it's, like, a really popular film, uh, despite the fact that it has Mike Ironside in it. But, you know, X-Ray, I mean, that's a film that I would say is, you know, not overly seen. And, you know, it just, I don't know, I just find it <laughs> interesting that here we have two movies that were talking about stuff like this all the way back in the 80s. <laughs> that just feel like they got buried within the genre. (laughs) It's almost like we don't want to talk about women's problems. (laughs) Almost. So, so no, but I think I, my first thought with the Valentine's day thing is, first of all, who the fuck decorates their house? Like Susan's house for (laughs) Valentine's day. Well, wait, what was wrong with it? What are you talking? I have never. There's cute heartsies everywhere. Do you do we decorate the apartment okay, for we Valentine's don't, Day? We don't decorate shit, did your, my love. Did your family decorate the house for Valentine's Day? We're like, Midwestern. Who, we don't acknowledge love. Who decorates <laughs> like this for Valentine's Day is my question. It's not the it's not the decorations themselves. It's why. Why are there fucking hearts all over your house like you live in the middle of a Walgreens? They're like, early day Instagrammers. They look like they live in the card aisle of Walgreens. I <laughs> Between mean, the happy birthday cards and the anniversary cards, they're right fucking there with the Valentine's Day section. Like, it is disgusting. <laughs> no hearts what? ever. Love is love and love is great, but holy shit. You're not allowed to decorate for Valentine's Day. I'm just saying, if I walked into that house, I I don't, I would not want to stay for very long because I would assume these are crazy people. You all know what I have to do for Valentine's Day this year, right? Getting a divorce. (laughs) Getting a divorce is what we're doing for Valentine's Day. Um, Decorating the whole fucking house. But no, on a more serious note, like, you know, the, Yes, I think that everything you mentioned is is a big reason why we focus on Valentine's Day here because that's essentially what you're de- that's essentially what you're dealing with, right? Is this this fucking kid Harold mm-hmm. who has decided this eight year old girl that he knows like they're both eight, but this eight year old girl you know is like somehow the love of his life that mm-hmm. he can't he can't li- <laughs> he can't live without her. And because she said no to him in being his fucking, like, second grade Valentine's Day date, now he has held a vendetta against her for at least 20 years. I don't know how old they are, but it's got to be at least 20 years. And and he has held this vendetta for this long. I mean, if that's not an indictment on the idea of, like, women can't say no to men because of shit like this, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what it is. Cause it's really, cause the thing about it is like, it's not even that far off base, you know? No. Like, I mean, you know, maybe most men don't wait two decades to like, you know, hunt down their crushes and, and try to murder them. But, <laughs> but they certainly hold the grudge still or are still trying after all that long. And it's like, you know, come on guys. Come on. Yeah. Well, and that's the fucked up thing is just like, you know, we can we can talk to a blue in the face about the the horrible aspect of our culture of the fact that women can't really say no safely. There's way too many examples of men not taking it well and taking it out. But the fucked up thing about this one is the fact that she's in the privacy of her own goddamn home. <laughs> she can't even be in her yeah. home and make fun of this fucking stalker, creepy ass I, loser. I mean, she still ultimately would have had to say no, but the but she yes, but, but you're correct. She is at least polite when she takes the card, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's not like she, like, laughed in his face and was like, ha, no, fuck you, Harold. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she was sweet about it. She, you know, she's nice and, and you know, she's kind of a dick with her brother, but that's fine. She's not in her presence, so why should she care? Exactly. So, so no, I, I, I think that it's really interesting to set it up on that day, especially to make it, you know, he's trying to get her on the anniversary of that day. Yeah. God knows how many years later. Um, but the other thing I think is interesting, too, is, like, how all the colors sort of work into it because – uh, colors well yeah because you know the fact that it's set on valentine's day of course we have sort of a you know valentine's day thematic in the in the image of the movie or in the imagery of the movie and so you know what i noticed with this is that so in the beginning of the film 
you know, when we first meet Susan, who, by the way, those two kids, the, the girl who plays Susan and, and the boy who plays Harold, are actually both the murder, are both part of the murderous trio of kids in Bloody Birthday. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, which I think came out the same year. So just fun fact. But, <laughs> but something I noticed is, you know, Susan in the beginning of this film is wearing pink. Harold's wearing red. And when we first meet Susan as an adult on Valentine's Day, she has a pink like blouse with a red suit over it. Mm -hmm. And this could totally be reading into it because pink and red are pretty common themes for Valentine's Day. But, but I sort of, I, you know, I like taking that as this idea that, you know, Susan is a grown woman now, mm -hmm. hence the, hence the red. But I think that, you know, the pink blouse that we see, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, the, I don't know if I'm making sense here, but it's kind of like the idea that, you know, she's still that little girl deep down inside who was kind of scarred mm -hmm. by this fucking dude, Harold. And now with the red that she's wearing, you know, that was kind of like the destruction of her innocence, you know, seeing her fucking, bo you know, uh, brother murdered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now she sort of wears like that, you know, that kind of uh, blemishing of the innocence on the outside Okay. You know, in the sense that she's kind of be she had to grow up and become more of an adult, but there's still like that kind of scarred kid inside of her. You know, that's that essentially yeah. like still essentially what I'm getting at is like when we meet Susan, she doesn't strike you as a woman who's afraid to like say fuck you to a dude, right? Yeah. You know, she she's very forceful. She's very with, tough. Yeah, she's very tough with her ex husband and her boyfriend. You know, like she's very demanding of them, which good for her. Good for good her. Good for her. You know. She's very much like that, but as soon as she's kind of in the hospital and things begin happening and she finds herself less and less in control, you know, she kind of becomes more and more like that scarred, innocent little girl, you know, mm -hmm. where she's kind of losing that sort of tough redness and kind of being stripped down to, like, the pink. Yeah. You know, I hope this makes sense. Yeah, but that it, makes sense. Yeah, because she, you know, essentially the idea of, like, it's this scar that's still deep in her that is still kind of open, you mm -hmm. know, which, I mean, of course it is. She witnessed her <laughs> fucking brother die at the hands of a dude she said no to. <laughs> it makes me wonder if we're really dialed into kind of, like, Susan's point of view, just because, like, so many of these, like, male characters are dialed up to 11. Like, look at the fucking janitor that we meet in this. This fucking lecherous dude. Her ex-husband's, like, a total piece of shit. So I kind of wonder, in line with with your idea about you know the red kind of being her armor to the outside world if that's just kind of how she views all of these dudes that she comes across as yeah. people that she has to defend herself against yeah absolutely so when, when i say she's wearing that as like part of her adulthood it's really just the knowledge that you know men kind of suck yes <laughs> like, it, it's the knowledge and in having that knowledge she's she's more aware and it's kind of more understanding of like okay i have to be more demanding and dominant like i have to show like you're not going to push me around you know mm -hmm. that's kind of who she is when we first meet her but as we're kind of going through the hospital and everything that's happening to her i mean i see what you're saying like i i do definitely think that you know <laughs> this movie is certainly through her point of view and exaggerated through her lens not to say that the things that are happening don't happen but that they because they do mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, oh no, the doctor never, you know, harassed her. No, it does. He does. But, but by, when I say exaggerating, I mean that we're, we're really experiencing everything to an 11, you know, yeah. uh, like, like when she does have the guy approach her, right. It's the, or the patient approach her. It's this really, <laughs> it's this really creepy, slow, like she looks at it and he looks at her we're, we're staying on her face as she waits for him to just fucking keep walking and he doesn't, you know. And, he just and it's, stares at her until she leaves. Right. It's all of these little things that are, like, very intense and very in her point of view. And, you know, you, you really feel what it's like to be a beautiful woman like her in a place crowded with all these lecherous <laughs> dudes, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's just, like, everywhere you go, you're, you're stared at and you're you know, ogled and you're uh, objectified mm -hmm. and you're treated like you're less than them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like you're subhuman in a sense. Um, you're an animal in the zoo. Exactly, yeah. And, it, and going along with the color thing, you know, as we go through the film, 
that red eventually does kind of become stripped down until by the end of the film, she's basically in like a pink gown. Yeah. You know, uh, or in a pink, what do you call it? Yeah, pink uh, hospital gown. Mm -hmm. Just basically stripped all the way back down to the kind of innocent girl that she was when she first witnessed the dude like go fucking berserk <laughs> over a fucking, you know, goddamn Valentine's Day cards. <laughs> in her own fucking house. In her own fucking house, you know? <laughs> like even, even the pill that, uh, the nurse asked her to take at one point is pink. Yeah. You know, and it's, I, I, do, I don't know if I'm like right on my way on kind of looking at this, but it's almost like the nurse kind of telling her, like, here, you know, suck down <laughs> and become that little girl you once were again. Like, completely submit to us. <laughs> yeah. It very much feels like, here, take this pill, be a good little girl. Exactly. Be obedient. And, and they even call her, like, good girl or something like that at one point, I think. Yeah, and that's that's the interesting thing for me about this entire hospital stuff is that all of it is so fucking demeaning to her um, yeah. and belittling to her. Like, I think that you're really accurate with the fact that they just kind of strip away all of her armor because there's that fucking well, gross, like, physical exam scene if any doctor makes you just sit on a goddamn table, takes your dressing gown well, off. Well, so look, I mean, first of all, you know, the the whole thing, I mean, this is this is why I always like talking about movies like this, because on the surface, you know, X-Ray is a very simple, kind of dumb horror movie, right? Mm -hmm. But but the little things make it more interesting. <laughs> and, like, you know, it, it does feel like this, Basically, her treatment at the hospital and all the themes with color and basically just the whole plot of the movie, you know, it is all about basically trying to take away the strength of her and kind of boil her back down to, like, the controllable, innocent girl, you know? Yeah. Um, and, it, like, that, that, you know, basically, like, kind of making her submit in a sense. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's what, you know, it's what the men in her life are trying to do, or at least her ex. It's mm -hmm. what the hospital staff is trying to do. It's what the killer is trying to do. You know, they all basically want her to, like, submit to them and kind of do as they want, right? Yeah. And, yeah, the, the examination scene, you know, so we talked a little bit about this uh, in talking about infection. But, you know, I would say that X-Ray is one of the better movies, I think, in kind of showing that sort of imbalance of power in the doctor-patient relationship. Yes. You know, uh, like other movies have, a lot of movies have done this, but I actually think that oddly enough, X-Ray is kind of one of the better ones to do it because it really, it really puts you in the moment of what so many of us have, have been through or probably experienced something similar to where, you know, you do have this moment where like Susan has no idea what the fuck's going on, right? Yeah. She, she was just there. <laughs> she was just there to talk to her female doctor. Yep. And I think that's also important too, that her original doctor was female she gets killed by the killer, and now suddenly without her, Susan finds herself in this weird world of male doctors. Male doctors only. That, that she cannot trust, you know, and it's dealing with, like, very personal issues, you know, her body. Yeah. It's dealing with these very personal issues, and it's like the moment that her doctor, her female doctor, is taken out of the equation, suddenly everything becomes very uncomfortable. You know, mm -hmm. she doesn't know what's going on. She's being dragged around by uh, this nice doctor harry that she meets you know she she's then introduced to this dr saxon and then he's taking her into this room to talk about her x-rays and you know she only came there to fucking talk about uh her test results and now suddenly she's in this male doctor's office that she's never met before told to strip down behind yeah. a behind a backlit <laughs> curtain so he can like fucking watch her, creepy so he can watch her like a fucking peep show at a strip club you know and and then, yeah, and then she comes out with the gun, and he's immediately just taking it off and, yep. you know, having her lie down and touching her. And the whole thing is basically just, you know, it, it hammers home that the fact that when you are in a doctor's office, especially for women, you're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You know, you're vulnerable because with anything, there's a power dynamic uh, between, you know, uh, victims and abusers, right? Yeah. There's a power dynamic. It's it's why you often see cases of like you know sexual abuse between a boss and and someone and that underling. works underneath them, yeah. and it, and in this case it's very similar because Susan you know is basically kind of being built up with the idea of like oh shit something's wrong with me, mm -hmm. and she's being told to strip down and it, it's this sort of sense of authority from the doctor of like well 
you know, they're doing this, so it mm-hmm. must be something they have to do. Yep. And she, it, it takes all of the, the sort of power, I think, that she's become used to having, that sort of dominating presence. It takes all of it away yeah. to where she's just like, I have to accept this mm-hmm. and deal with it. And so, so in like, in a really uncomfortable <laughs> way, you know, this this scene, even though it is a doctor you know, trying or, or supposedly trying to find out what's wrong with her, it's still very, mm-hmm. like, rape. It's very similar to kind of a rape scene, you know? <laughs> it is, and that's, I think that you're right. This movie handles the insidious nature of this stuff so well because I feel like with a lot of these other movies and power dynamics, they really want to hammer home how fucked up this is. Like, with other movies, you would have the doctor blatantly touching her sexually or something like that. And right, it, well, he'd, like, you know, honk her or something, be like, honk, honk, and mm, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he would totally honk her tits. I mean, she has very honkable tits. I think we can we can agree on that. Oh, Barbie? Yeah, for oh, yeah. sure. <laughs> She's gorgeous. Um, but, yeah, what I really like about this movie is the fact that it isn't doing the creepy instrument stuff. It is very much showcasing... Like the little imbalances of power. Mm. Oh. Yeah, that's interesting. It's not. It's not about the needles or no. the you know the the tiny little hammer that they use to hit your knee with, which <laughs> is which shouldn't be terrifying, but terrifies me because I'm always like, oh my god, what if my knee doesn't react? Is there oh, something? See, am I dying? I'm always worried I'm going <laughs> to kick the doctor in the face. Oh uh, yeah, opposite <laughs> for me. I'm always worried it's not going to kick, and I'm really like, oh fuck, I'm dying or something. Um, oh. But yeah, no, it's not about the instruments. It's about the hands. You know, yeah. it's about the hands of the doctor and where they're going and and his gaze. On yeah. Her. Well, and that's the thing is like looking at the exam he doesn't do anything in that physical exam that any of the rest of us haven't experienced it's just the fact that she's naked and that's really what this is kind of all about is the fact that you know with that power imbalance that dudes don't even think about a lot of times like with this doctor he's again he's not really that lecherous in terms of like a horror movie doctor yeah, he's watching her undress with, like, the screen. I mean, he's pretty lecherous. He is. <laughs> he is. But in, in terms of what he could be, he's kind of on the lower scale of it. And, sure. And it's he's, w- not a, he's not a twirling his mustache kind he's of He's not villain. a twirling his mustache. <laughs> he's not a honking the tits. He's not a whispering creepy things in her ear. Right. You know, this is showcasing not only the uncomfortableness with having, like, a male doctor – um, but also this weird sense of withholding information, because that's a power move, too. There's something wrong with her based on the charts that got, like, switched out. And mm. the fact that this entire movie goes on and the doctors never once are honest with her of what she's going through because she's a hysterical girl. Like, I, I still love the, like, weird um, confrontation that she has with Dr. Saxton when she first gets kind of shoved into one of the rooms and told mm. that she's going to stay under observation. Um, and she asks him, is it serious? She's staying for observation. This is a simple question. And his first answer is, no, it's nothing. He completely yeah. writes her off. Yeah, and, and in that, you know, it sort of combines those two elements of like on one hand we have you know your sort of theme of the way just society treats women in general where it's like you know you're you're not in power we're the men we have all the power we have all the knowledge you know so you just get to sit in this little fucking room mm-hmm. and we'll tell you when you can come out right like that's yep. take like, your well, take your pink pill like a good girl right exactly take your fucking pink pill like a good girl and take a nap you know yep. maybe make breakfast in the morning and then like <laughs> <laughs> You know, and that's and that's how they're treating her. And then on the other hand, it's just the also sort of the dynamic that, you know, I think we as patients feel with doctors a lot of the times where we just, you know, again, going back to what we were talking about infection, where it's like there are so many times where you just feel like you're not being listened to mm-hmm. by the medical community, you know, and this is not to bash doctors. Look, doctors have worked super hard. Yep. Uh, through COVID and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's it's been a very rough time, and I'm not trying to say don't trust your mm-hmm. your healthcare workers, but what I am saying is that, you know, I, I have had the experience myself of going to multiple doctors where they're just like, I don't know, it's stress, and it's <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in pain every day. It can't just be stress. <laughs> like, what the hell's going on, you know? And and I think that whole scene with the all the male doctors whispering, you know, I I, I think the like, I can't speak as a woman, but I bet that that brings up, you know, just various, you know, sort of memories of, like, kind mm. of the way men talk around you, where it's like, mm. 
you know, they're talking about you, not with you or something. And Yeah, they're not, I mean, that's the thing that it captures really well is this concept that even though it's about you, you don't have autonomy over your own existence. Um, you know, for me, I was in hospitals a lot as a kid because I had kidney mm. problems. And granted, I was dealing with it as a small child. But to this day, people ask me what's wrong and I go, I have no fucking clue what was wrong with me. Nobody thought that it was important to tell me what was wrong with me. And granted, I was no. six, so I don't give a shit. I don't know if you would have understood as six, but... <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't have necessarily, but I kind of know that But feeling. I guess that's the same idea, right? Of like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you just won't understand, so we're not going to tell you. Yeah, and it's it's something that I think a lot of women deal with over and over. This sense that, um, you know, the professionals in the room, the men in the room, don't want to lower themselves well, to explain something. Well, and that's always, I think, been kind of, you know, for a long time, that was kind of the uh, the thing with the medical community, right, that mm -hmm. women experienced is that, you know, there was a period where, like, it was mostly male doctors. Yep. And, and you know, and you're a woman going in, like, having to, you know, have these very personal exams and stuff like that. And, you know, it it's, it's a world where, like, where, yeah, you just basically – as a patient, but as a woman, especially, you don't have much power. Yeah, you know, you you like to think that you do because why? Because why would this it's doctor? Because my fucking body. Right, because it's my body, and why would this doctor have power over me? But once you are in that position of authority, you know, you're kind of you're kind of led to this idea of like, okay, well, I have to take their word for it, or mm -hmm. just or just do as directed because they must be trying to help me because they're a doctor, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> their job. Like I have to say, I really appreciated when I had to go in for a physical recently. I had to reschedule, and the only doctor available was a male one. And the person I was talking with was just like, are you going to be okay with this? They checked with me to make sure I was going to be okay with the male yeah. doctor. Not, not something they were doing in 1981, at no. least not as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that ties in, too, to, like, the way most of the victims die in the movie, where there are all these people that are sort of being lured away, mm -hmm. you know, either through a, a voice on the intercom summoning them to somewhere or – they think that this killer doctor is like someone they can trust because he's a doctor and mm -hmm. you know it's similar to that they're they're all being lured away because there is this when we when we walk into a hospital you know we're we're putting our trust in the staff there yeah right which is like apparently a terrible idea if this movie is anything to go by well if you're <laughs> if you're in the movie x-ray it's a bad idea terrible but idea. <laughs> but in real life you know we like to think like we're good putting our trust into these people that are taking care of us mm -hmm. and and most of the time you know you can but the but but this is but this is kind of showing like how when we are in this environment we do put our trust into the medical team around us and it, you know, the killer is using that to their advantage to, like, lure people away because mm -hmm. they think that they're safe with a doctor and in a hospital. Yeah. You know, and, and it's why everything that's happening to Susan is just kind of so intense and awful because it's like it, she she feels violated. Like, she never says it, but you can tell by her face that she yeah. feels violated. But this is all stuff that's happening you know, under the cloud of, like, a routine examination. Yeah, you and, know? <laughs> and that's the really fucked up nature about this is that Susan's kind of being violated on a couple of different levels. You know, she's losing her physical autonomy with, with the examination scene. She's kind of getting gaslit about what she's experiencing. I mean, she's, she's definitely getting gaslit. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, hey, someone fucking murdered someone. And they're like, no, you had a nightmare. <laughs> You're hysterical. <laughs> You're hysterical, you woman. <laughs> I found a head in this box. No, it's filled with cake, bitch. <laughs> There's no way anybody switched this box, woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it is it is kind of like the really horrific thing about this whole situation is just the fact that she kind of is being gaslit about her own existence and not super fucked up but in this terms of like trusting professionals to like a terrible degree can i just bring up the janitor's death because that's my favorite he's the only one who runs towards the doctor like and and i think that that's kind of the interesting thing with this movie as well is sometimes we run towards somebody we run towards somebody of authority, you know, in hopes that they'll help, that they'll have answers. And then they sh fucking shove our face into a sink full of liquid nitrogen. It happens every time. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, just, you know, it, it, like, things have changed since then. But watching this movie, you do definitely have this sense of, like, am I in fucking ancient Rome? <laughs> 
where I am bowing down to the orders of men, or am I in fucking 1980? Where you're also you know? bowing down to the orders when of I men. When I shouldn't be, because it's not fucking ancient Rome anymore, you know? So, so no, all of that plays into this. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, it, it's just interesting to me, because this is, you know, all of this stuff is by far scarier than anything that we experience with the killer himself you know um uh, this killer's a fucking muppet this killer is a muppet and and i think that you know again it's really funny because it's almost like the killer and the stuff happening to susan are in two different movies <laughs> you know it's almost like they had two different directors where like one is making a really serious medical drama about how terrifying this situation is for a woman like Susan. Mm -hmm. And the other is like, oh, we're making a low budget shitty slasher, right? Like with with and we couldn't afford anybody to actually, you know, play the killer <laughs> seriously. So, so we so just gonna, have this Muppet. We're going to have this Muppet that runs around and <laughs> the you know, fucking sheet. Um, I mean, God, the sheet, the sheet's so bad. It's I mean, hilarious, but <laughs> Um, well, so look, I, again, you know, get a life, man. Yeah. Is, is the immediate response that comes to, you know, when talking about this killer. Because, because again, th this is a dude who's waited fucking decades to, to what? Take her heart, you know? So I, I don't even know. Um, he's waited fucking decades for this. And I, and you know, I mean, he he's a stand-in. He he's he's basically like all of the men in the movie, like we've talked about. That yeah. every single man in this movie, aside from her boyfriend, is creepy and weird mm -hmm. and intimidating. And part of that is the movie trying to establish every single man as the potential killer. But then that also becomes interesting because it's also the movie acknowledging, yes, every, every man, man is dangerous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah, because it never it never tries to make you think, oh, maybe it's one of the women. You know, mm -hmm. maybe maybe it's like Harold's mother who's like <laughs> upset that she turned him down all those years ago. We don't know, but the movie automatically is like, no, men are dangerous. Watch out for them. They're all fucking creepy. <laughs> yeah, this dude has a fucking picture of her in his office, which I have to say, as an adult, the fact that you have a picture of a child that's not well, your child. <laughs> I mean, yes. First of all, the f well, it's the only picture you could have of her, I guess. But, I guess. But, uh, yeah, no, it's creepy. But that's also kind of, you know, interesting, too, because basically the doctor – lives on like this ninth floor you know that's that's where his office is <laughs> mm -hmm. as far as we understand and at the time that we're coming into the film you know the whole ninth floor is being fumigated mm -hmm. and it's you know it's dirty it's decrepit like every fucking mess everything's a fucking mess you and get tetanus you get tetanus walking through there and the the you know it almost kind of works like uh like it's his a metaphor for his fucking mind right yeah. because because this whole nine floor is is a disaster <laughs> and it's full of all this like cloudy smoke and he can't see clearly and the only thing that is there of any note is this picture of susan mm -hmm. that he just obsesses over you know so it's like his mind it's like this cloudy decrepit uh, uh messed up head that can only focus on this fucking crush that he had when he was eight years old <laughs> Which, like, this is the thing that I'm curious about with this movie. I know that, like, they don't really owe me an explanation, but I have questions. I have questions about whether, like, he knew that Susan, like, went to that hospital. Because, like, when we first see the killer, it's him looking out the window. He sees fucking Susan and loses his fucking shit. So my question is, did he know she goes to the oh, hospital? He, he... Or did he just, like, look out the fucking window, see her, and go, oh, shit, that's the girl I had a crush on when I was, like, eight, and I got a picture of her in my office. I'm going <laughs> to kill everyone. No, he he had to have this plan. Cause it's not... Really? Because he's an idiot. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he's going to look out at this random woman on the street and automatically go, oh, that's the girl who looks nothing like she did when she was eight years old. That must be my crush. Rush, like, I mean, that's kind of what the movie makes he's, me think. He's on the fucking ninth floor, Chris. He can barely even see her. Like, and he still freaks the fuck out and comes in his pants. Well, he does do that, but that's because he, but that's because he already knows her, you know. So uh -huh. it's a, it's a, it's a knowing come. So like, he looks at her and is automatically just like, oh, Susan. Oh, is he like, um, oh shit, it's time. I've been preparing for this. 
I mean, he might just be really excited about that, too. But, I mean, no, th- there are too many steps to this plan to have not had some of it planned out. What <laughs> steps? I see no steps in this plan. I mean, it had to have taken at least, like, 20 minutes to write up the fucking fake chart and all that kind of stuff. I think he just stole that from and another not- patient. No, but he still had to write up the chart for Susan, Chris. No, it's not a plan that just came together all of a sudden. Why am I talking about this? The, the thing- <laughs> Uh, I love your, I'm not engaging with your bullshit. But no, but I, but I like that he is this kind of messy bitch of a killer because Mm -hmm. I, I think again, it goes, this is the fun thing about talking about movies within a similar subgenre because you start to notice the same themes Mm -hmm. that keep popping up. And I promise you all, this is always completely accidental, you know? I, I did not plan when we started this month for visiting hours and X-Ray to basically have the same fucking theme, <laughs> which is that not only are they movies about, you know, the female experience within society and not being listened to, but but also both male killers in each film are clumsy yes. assholes, <laughs> you know? Like, Michael Ironside sucks as yep. a killer in visiting hours. He can't get the damn job done nope. night after night after night. And in this case, I mean, like you said, he's a fucking Muppet just running around. You, <laughs> he you hides know, behind a door frame. You know, I mean, the most amazing thing about this movie is the fact he's not caught. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, the dude is... I don't... Where Where is anybody else in this hospital when he is running down the hallway with a fucking sheet chasing this screaming woman? Right. You know, like... And, and he, he is running through the hallway with people in wheelchairs and, like, throwing them into rooms <laughs> because he just has to get them out of sight, you know? Like, he, he is the clumsiest, seemingly most unprepared, although this is, like, a 10-step plan, uh, seemingly just unprepared oaf, you know? I feel like that's the power of being male. Like, that's the power of being a dude. You can be a total fuck-up Muppet, and you can still almost accomplish your goal. No, but this is my point. Like, if it was a female killer in this, (laughs) she would be strategic. She would be good at what she does. Meticulous. Everything would be detailed. She'd get get it, like, accomplished (laughs) coolly, you know, wouldn't be panicking. And in this guy's case, I mean, he's like... I don't know if panicking is the right word, but he's definitely flustered. I mean, he (laughs) panics after he kills the janitor. He has a little temper tantrum. Well, so this is the other kind of fun thing about it, too, is that, you know, (laughs) it's funny that the film has him walking through constantly heavily breathing, you know, (laughs) like he's fucking Michael Myers wearing a plastic bag over his face. He's just a horny boy. No, I mean, yes and no. It's not... (laughs) To me, it's not about him being horny. It's, you know, it ties back to something from Visiting Hours as well, because Michael Ironside is this character that walks around with, like, this little bell necklace that he flicks or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this is something similar to me, where it's basically the idea that, like, it's stupid that he's walking around breathing heavily like this. Like, you can't watch this movie and not, you know, laugh a little bit at that. Mm -hmm. But it also, I think, ties into the idea that, like, this is also the female experience, though, is yep. the sense of constantly feeling, you know, men like this breathing down your neck or, like, behind you, you know, like, oh, yeah, oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, know, you know, to me, that's kind of what it implies is just this constant sound of, like, male obsessiveness that is following Susan everywhere she goes. No, you're you're totally right with the the sounds being important with this. With both the bell and the breathing, it really kind of captures like the overbearing sense that a lot of women have to deal with cuz like you could kind of go with footsteps or something like that, but n- that kind of sound really doesn't capture like the oppressive nature that women well, feel, like just getting stared down by creepy men. I mean, even aside from the oppressive nature, I mean, it's just, you know, the... <laughs> like, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe somebody thought that was scary. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's scary in real life. It's definitely you know? creepy in real life. <laughs> uh, less less so in this case, but... <laughs> but he is a Muppet of a man. He's a Muppet of a man. <laughs> I don't know if you all have seen the Muppet movie. <laughs> to be fair, that song is Matt and my song. Weirdly enough. And, you know, even the janitor in the movie, like, when she first walks into the into the hospital, he's also a dude that's just sitting there, like, 
staring at her and like clacking his nails against the fucking uh desk and it, it's like dude what are you doing man touching like, up his mop like it's his penis like, like i'm gonna i'm gonna let everyone know right now um staring at someone <laughs> and clacking your fingernails against the desk not exactly a turn on no i mean i don't know if you're like super hot and you've got those like glam bitch nails you know that that make you you know the automatically make it seem like okay yeah no you're you're someone who's like you know don't fuck with you and like you're you're cool as shit like okay maybe in that case it works <laughs> i mean i feel like it's fair to say that men shouldn't just stare at people because it's creepy but women can get a little bit more away with it yeah no just just no staring staring equals bad it's just creepy it's not attractive and it's not gonna get get you what you want but you know and of course i mean so Yes, th- this is a movie about obsession. You know, this is a film that is is about that sort of not not just what women go through in dealing with men like this, but about that kind of male obsessiveness and how, you know, maybe it's good actually that the film is so goofy because I think that that I think that encapsulates the fact that this sort of male obsession that lasts decades like this <laughs> in itself is silly it's ridiculous you know it's ridiculous and just as this killer's plan is you know like the whole i mean listen man dude here <laughs> my dude my dude like, this this is america okay there are easier ways to kill someone Jesus. than, <laughs> than, than a fucking 10-step plan in how to keep them at a hospital longer so that you can take their heart out. Like, I don't... <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like... What is this plan? I don't... What is he doing? <laughs> I mean, you know, yes, it's... I guess you want to make a statement on Valentine's Day. That's fine. Still, you didn't need to do it here, man. Okay? She she lives alone, I think. Or no, she's her... got a fiancé. Okay, fine. But he, he takes care of him just fine. You know, like, this is... <laughs> I think I think it just you know I I think that the complication of the plan the the fact that it is so needlessly complicated maybe also speaks to like the the obsessiveness of this nature and the fact that it is so unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, see I have to imagine that like if we're going off of this is a plan, which is your concept not mine. Chris, my, he my has concept a, is he looked at the fucking war. Chris, room he has every he has everything ready right down to knowing who her doctor is and knowing she's going to be there that day. <laughs> I mean, he could it's, quickly research. It's I, fine. I, I, it's you still, sit in a waiting room for like 30 minutes. You can figure shit out during that time. Yeah, for me I feel like like, okay, if this if this is a plan, then I feel like his original idea was to just keep her trapped so that she would fall in love with him naturally. Cause what? Like, There's no way. <laughs> well, I know. He's an idiot. This is not a smart man. This was never a plan that was going to work. No, obviously. he was always doing this to get her damn heart. <laughs> you think he was always planning on just murdering her? Yeah, he does nothing to, like, make her fall in love with him. He's just... He's to just getting fair, her further and further to the operating table. I mean, to be fair, Harry is kind of her champion in this entire thing. He's the one who's like, I'll be there. I'll help you get out of this. Yeah, but you're you're kidding me if you think that his plan is to get her to fall in love with him. He makes no attempt at that. The, Look, the I don't whole, know what this man's plan is. No, the thing is that, like, he... Well, look, the fact that he's helping her, I think, is really just emblematic of the fact that you know, again, the the idea of, like, it's difficult to trust men, right? Because mm-hmm. this whole time, he is the one that she trusts the most. Yeah. And yet, he is the one who's trying to murder her. So, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's the idea that, like, it's not, it's not like men like this wear the fucking stamp on their forehead that says, like, I am a monster, avoid me, you know? Like, they don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this movie's touching on that. But also, you know... Yeah, no, this whole plan is stupid. <laughs> like, yes. It's, <laughs> um, it's just, it's overly complicated, and there's no need for him to be, you know, going through all of this just to get her in this fucking operating table <laughs> to take her heart, right? <laughs> um, and not to mention, too, like, like, bro, you couldn't have changed your fucking name to, like, Henry or something? 
You know, you think Harry's different enough from Harold? Like, you Why does he even have to be an H? It could be S. He could be Seth. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying is, like, even changing it to Henry would have been less obvious than fucking Harold. <laughs> like, I mean, that's... Or Harry, I mean. That's fair. I'm wondering how he even managed to become a doctor. Like, look, this dude murdered a child. Why is he not uh, in baby jail? Obsession will do that to you, you know? Like, a... <laughs> It takes a certain obsessiveness to be a doctor and to know all that stuff. So That's a fair point. And yeah, I mean, it's ultimately just unfortunate. And I think that, you know, part of having him be so charming, too, also just kind of touches on that idea of, like, you know, th there are so many men who become obsessive in this sort of way. And it's like, if you just let this one go, she said no, move on. You're a charming dude. Yep. You don't have to be alone forever, you nope. know? Like, just that she said no. It's fine. Move on. Move on. <laughs> um, and I think that's kind of like the tragedy of his character, if there is any, is that, you know, he, he certainly seems like a dude who could get some if he wanted. <laughs> he is. He's a relatively handsome man. And it's, you know, that's what I do kind of like about this film is the fact that, yeah, it is his obsessive nature that ruins everything. Like, he could have a career, a life, all of these things. Being told no is not the end of your world, but he makes it the end of his world because he gets lit on fire like a bitch. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just <laughs> that, that moment always cracks me up in this movie, too, because it... I could be wrong, but it looks like he accidentally set the set on fire. It absolutely now, does. <laughs> now, as far as I understand, they did shoot this in an abandoned hospital. But I'm not sure that the roof scene <laughs> is part of the hospital. Like, that could have been a set. And I think it must be because when he gets set on fire, there's all these little, like... <laughs> flames everywhere. All these little flames burning everywhere that makes me think, like, okay, yeah, this was a set that he almost burned down <laughs> when he got set on fire back in the days that we actually used to set people on yeah. fire. <laughs> you know, true to form for a herald, if anybody's going to go out and setting the entire set on fire, it's going to be him. Indeed. All right, so we do have to start wrapping up. So who is your killer idiot of X-Ray? Look, I want to say everybody in this goddamn hospital because leg day... You can't say everybody. I have an actual... Okay, to be fair, you have totally done that before, but I have an actual answer. But, uh... I want to say everybody, because use your fucking legs to kick people. God damn it. Um, but I'm going to go with um, with the fiancé, because like he absolutely could have fought Harold off a little bit more. And this this bitch doesn't even try. You always pick the people that like do nothing stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't do anything stupid, but all he's doing is like, the doctor called him to his office, so he's just going to his office. You know, this, this motherfucker is going into a creepy space. He's doing all the horror shit that you shouldn't be doing. If I was locked in a hospital and doctors had told you that I was that there was something seriously wrong with me, you would also follow up into the ninth floor because they called you and said, could the woman waiting for Matt please come to the ninth floor? Yeah, you would do it too. The moment <laughs> that there's a creepy voice going, do you touch her? Does she let you touch her in her naughty bits and be like, oh, fuck no, I'm out. Well, at that point, obviously, it's fucking weird. So he but did <laughs> do something stupid, and then he should have kicked the motherfucker in the face. So my killer idiot <laughs> is Harold, because again, what the hell is this plan, man? This is America. Don't... <laughs> You, you can kill women so much easier. People die here every day <laughs> in much less complicated circumstances than this. You know, so like, um, so no, just, you know, again, I, I never understood just people like this in general, you know, just it's, it's difficult to move on. Like, especially like if you've been with someone for a long time, of course that's difficult. <laughs> right. But like, he never went on a single date with her. Yeah. You get the sense that he barely fucking knows her. Like, it's okay. Move on. She doesn't need to be the next three decades of your life and death. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what about your killer death in X-Ray? Well, it's Harold, because that bitch gets lit on fire and then yeeted over the roof. Fucking love that. He sure does. It's amazing. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to say the janitor, just because I, I do love these sort of, like, 
burning the face in a vat of acid or water or whatever the fuck that <laughs> chemical mysterious shit is. Mysterious chemicals. Mysterious chemicals. Which, by the way, is another Halloween 2 ripoff because that's one of the best deaths in Halloween 2 is the girl in the hot tubs. <laughs> True. Um, what about your killer MVP? Okay, so this one's going to be a weird one. They're always weird They're ones, always Chris. <laughs> okay, so for me, it goes to Michael Ruiz, who is the hairdresser. He did the all the hair stuff for this that movie. is a weird yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> because her hair is amazing this entire film. It's so perfect and bouncy and just, I love it. It's amazing. I have to give it. We almost never, like, give credit to the people who just do, like, I don't want to say normal hair and makeup, but, like, not the monster stuff. And that shit is tough. And for him to keep her hair perfect this entire film, like, chops to this dude because it's flawless. It, I mean, I will give you, Barbie's hair looks great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, my MVP is Barbie because yeah. I I think that, you know, Barbie Sutton's uh, – I think that Barbie Benton really, as Susan, you know, she really has this – I wish she would have done more horror movies yeah. uh, in her time because she has this very like sort of kind of classical movie star vibe to me, you know, where where she strikes me as someone that could have been in like a Brian De Palma movie, you know, like she mm. looks like she very much <clears throat> kind of has that look. And and I think that she does a really good job in this of the saying a lot with a little, you know, because there are a lot of moments where Barbie has zero dialogue. And we just kind of see everything through her eyes. And I think she does a great job of kind of portraying, like, the horror of the moment, you know? Yeah. Uh, during these examinations and stuff like that. So, so no, I it's Barbie for me. And I, I really do just wish that this hadn't been one of pretty much her only yeah. <laughs> endeavors in the horror. But, alas, it is what it is. So... Uh, every week on Killer Critics at Twitter, as long as Twitter exists, uh, we put up a poll, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film, what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on X-Ray? I feel like this is definitely a never seen it. Yeah, well, I kind of gave that away to you in, in the beginning. <laughs> That's but, true. Uh, so yes, that is correct. Uh, love it got 9%. It's fine got 9%. Don't like it got three percent and a whopping seventy nine percent have never Oof. seen it. So, I pretty much expected that X Ray yeah. is not a very well known film, <laughs> um, but it is a fun one. And yes. so, if you've listened through to this point and you still haven't seen it, I do suggest checking it out. I think you might I think you might have a good time with it. Uh, so, because it is so underseen, we do not have any comments for this one. <laughs> uh, so, as usual, at the end of the month, we have our wrapping up rankings of everything that we talked about so this month it's been x-ray visiting hours and infection so how would you rate the movies in terms of favorites through the month of horror at the hospital oh well i'm very glad that we are now officially leaving the hospital um but well you don't like syringes <laughs> i do not i fucking hate needles so much um okay so for me number three is visiting hours like expected yeah it's fine um number two is of course x-ray because super fun plus muppet killer and number one you can pry my japanese horror out of my cold dead hands because infection's gonna be my number one. Oh, fair enough uh so so mine is x-ray at the bottom because <gasps> is it because of michael ironside i fucking love michael ironside yeah. like like x-ray is fun mm -hmm. i'm not gonna call it a good movie <laughs> Um, whereas Visiting Hours does have a lot of really, really well done things about it. It's not a perfect movie. It has its flaws. Um, but I love Michael Ironside. I, I do like that movie overall. And, and Infection is my number one as well, because yes. Infection is just such a fucking good movie. Yes. You know, it's super creepy, super well done, really smart. You know, I, I really enjoy that one. So, uh, so yeah, no, so that's gonna do it for us on horror at the hospital month uh so as far as releases go this week a uh, couple things to look forward to first was a film called blood relatives uh this is directed by actor noah segan who also stars in the movie uh and this is now on shutter at the time that you're listening to this uh really just a sweet kind of light-hearted movie about this vampire who runs into his estranged daughter who's also a vampire and they kind of end <laughs> up on this road trip together and it sort of reminded me a little bit of, like, the Thanksgiving movie Dutch, you know, where this guy is meeting his stepson for the first time and they're driving across country together. Mm -hmm. uh, similar to that, where it's like this road trip where they're getting to know each other, they kind of hate each other, they kind of love each other, 
Uh, and it's just a really sweet kind of fun movie. Oh, so, But with vampires. But with vampires. Uh, so that's on Shudder now. Really enjoyed it. I think it's a... I don't want to say fun for the whole family because it all depends on your view of, you know, horror and what your kids can watch. Uh, but it is definitely a film that, you know, you can sit down with your teenagers and have like a good time with. So uh, and then lastly is a movie called Bones and All, which is now in theaters. Uh, this is basically a cannibal road trip love story about this girl who is part of this basically part of this uh, group called Eaters, where she's kind of like born into this sort of desire for human flesh and it you know aside from that she's just a human trying to like get along in society and kind of dealing with this sort of like craving for you know human meat and it, she ends up being abandoned by her dad and kind of goes on this search to find her estranged mother and along the way meets other eaters like her uh including a guy played by timothy chalamet who she ends up falling in love with Aww. um and then it's kind of about you know, so this is from Luca Guadagnino, who did the Suspiria remake. Oh. And it, and it's very similar in the sense that this is a film that is very character-based, you know. It's heavily on the characters and less on the story. So, like, the characters are the story in a sense, you know. Um, so it's one of those movies where, like the Suspiria remake, it's very much like a poignant kind of, you know, insight into human existence well, at the same time, you know, being coupled with just, like, these moments of, like, extremely intense violence, you know? Uh, so, look, I love this. <laughs> I, I cried afterwards. I was texting Chris, like, I love you, you know? Yeah. Like, like all that kind of stuff. Like, it's just, it's a movie that really touched me. Uh, and, and it shows kind of a rare empathy for this kind of character, you know, a character... Who's eating Who's people. eating people, you know? This is not your Hannibal Lecter. These are very like complex uh people that we get to know intimately um not saying Hannibal Lecter isn't complex but you know what I mean thank you (laughs) you know what I mean he's yeah they're treated with very with uh, an empathy that you don't often see in these kind of movies so Mm. um so no Bones and All is great I loved it it it's not a film that's going to wow you with excitement it kind of meanders at times but but I did think it was very good so uh so that's gonna do it for us on Horror at the Hospital Month and X-Ray. Uh, we have not yet put up our poll for what we'll be talking about in December, but you can look for that on Killer Critics on Twitter and vote there for what you'd like to hear us discuss this winter season. Uh, other than that, I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs> <laughs>